if you're in the fourth quarter, if you're in the first quarter, I hope that you know with all your heart that you are saved and that you are in the hands of God. So the message I have today, I call it following God's game plan. If you were to look into the eyes of an athlete on the day of the biggest game of their life, in football, it would be the Super Bowl. In baseball, it's the World Series. Hockey, it's the Stanley Cup. But it's the day of the biggest game of their life. And you looked into their eyes, what do you think you'd see? Well, some of these athletes, you would see this intense focus. You know, they've, they've you know, they've, they finally came to a place that few people ever get to go. And they think back about all the blood, sweat, and tears, all the years, you know, playing football, or baseball or whatever their sport is you know, as, as a kid and then going up to high school and then getting the, uh, the opportunity to go to the college level and then to the pros and here you are. Even, it's like there, you, can, you can talk to countless professional athletes who have played professional sports who never got to the big game. But here they are. So in some of those you see this intense focus, they've counted the cost and they, they determine, they walk out on the field of battle and they, we call it being in the zone. They're determined and they know and they believe with all their heart they're going to win. And even if they don't win, they leave everything they've got on the field of battle. They spend themselves right there. Yet, in other athletes of the same ability, obviously, because if they didn't have the same ability, they wouldn't be there. They have the same ability, they have the same skills. But in some of them you see doubt and maybe even a little fear. Maybe they've been listening to talking heads, you know, they've been watching SportsCenter and all the experts are saying, there's no way these guys should be here. You know, one of my favorite uh, Super Bowls was uh, the year that the uh, New York Giants beat the uh, New England Patriots who had gone 14-0. And if they won the Super Bowl, they'd be the first team in the history of the NFL to go 15-0. Yet the New York Giants were the wild card team. They came in the back door, and each week leading up to the Super Bowl, the talking heads would keep saying, well, you know, look at the Giants, you know. And it was like every week they're going, they couldn't possibly make it. You know, you know, they got through this one, but, you know, they're going to get knocked off. They're going to get, thank goodness those guys weren't listening to what all the experts had to say. I'll never forget. Uh, I can still see it in my head. You know, Eli Manning's getting tackled. He's falling down. He lets go of the ball, and the guy catches a ball in the back of his helmet, which set up a touchdown. What's the point, Ted? The point is this, every day that you and I get up and every time we roll out of bed and our feet hit the floor, it's game day. And we have to determine on a daily basis, are we going to walk in victory or are we going to walk in fear? The Bible says without faith, it is impossible to please God. So that's what faith is. It's that trust. It's that, it's that determination and it's that no matter what the circumstance is, I have the faith. I believe this and I am a winner. And no matter what the world throws at me today, God's got it. God's in control. You know, Ephesians 6.12, where we wrestle not against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities and powers. That's the truth. That's the real battle. And we have to look through spiritual eyes and, and, and make that determination every day that we're going to walk in that kind of faith. Um, winning requires teamwork. And if you've ever gone out for a, a sport, you go out and there are, every team has a, a staff, there's a head coach in the staff, and they will, they will run you through a series of drills to determine what skill level you have, whether you're capable of being on the team, and then where you can best serve the team. And uh, it's no different with God's team. The Bible says that for God's gifts and his calling are irrevocable. We are not unique, none of us. In God's eyes, we're all the same. He loves us equally. God is no respecter of person. And although we're not unique, we are uniquely gifted. God has gifted each of us uniquely. We have a unique set of skills and talents. And what we are supposed to determine is this. What, what can I best do with the skills and talents God has given me? And how can I use them best to serve him? It's about, it's about recognizing who you are and who you are in God and following his game, game plan. Um, I want to share with you, uh, you know, again, the team effort. The one thing that every coach hates on his team is that really, really good athlete that knows he's good, but he's more interested in his own stats than he is the team. That hot dog quarterback. Let's say, for example, they're in the middle of the game, the coach sends in the play, and a quarterback says, you know, that's a great play, but I'm out here. I've got the feel of what's going on here right now. And so we're not going to run that play. We're going to run this other play. And he, re- he runs a different play. And they score a touchdown. So he, he trots off the field. He's happy. He's content. We score a touchdown. And he gets benched. And now he's going, what's the deal, coach? I just scored a touchdown. And the coach says, well, you didn't run the play I called. Well, we didn't run the play. No, I didn't run the play called, but we still scored a touchdown. He said, yeah. But here's the deal. You ran a play that I was saving for the end of the game. Because if we get behind in this game, whether you realize it or not, you may have just cost us the game. You see, because the coach has the game plan. He's got the bigger picture. And that's what God expects of us, is obedience. So I want to share with you a story um, about... God's number one draft pick. There was a time when uh, the Israelites, after wandering through the desert for 40 years, and God continually have to, he was trying to get them ready so they could enter the promised land. And if you, if you know your Bible, then you know that actually the adults that initially left Egypt never got there because of their whining and complaining and their lack of faith. 
and the Israelites were continually harassed in and, and that battle. And one, one particular group of people that was a real thorn in their side, the Amalekites. And so God sent the prophet Samuel to the king Saul. Saul was picked to be the king because the people, again, whining and crying said, <laughs> We want a king. We want a king that we, we can see, and we want a king that we can hear. And basically, you know, uh, I'm shortening all this, of course. God said, why would you need a king when you have the king of the universe? Okay, if you want a king, I'll give you a king. So Saul was that first king chosen. So you got to figure if God picked him, he's got all the tools. He's got all the skills. He's got all the talent. Or he wouldn't have been picked. But what was the problem with Saul? Well, the problem with Saul was he was that hot dog quarterback. He was full of pride. And scripture says pride goeth before the fall. Amen. Been there and done that. Big time. So the prophet says to Saul, the Lord said to go and wipe out the Amalekites. Don't, think, don't leave anything breathing, basically. Kill it all. So the war, the battle is over. Samuel comes back and asks Saul, did you do all that the Lord instructed you to do? And Saul answered yes. And Samuel said, then why do I hear the bleating of sheep? In other words, if you had done what God told you to do, those sheep would be dead. Well, I saved the best sheep. I saved the best ghost to sacrifice to the Lord. Oh, God, I'm going to do God a favor. There is a way, the Bible says, it seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. God's not interested in all the things that we decide we want to go and do for him. God's interested in our being obedient to his calling on our life. So you can do a lot of good things, and you can do a lot of good things with all the right intentions, but if that's not God's will for your life, you do it in vain. You see, but then you go, well, okay, then how do I know? Well, the only way to know whether you're in God's will or not is that you're walking in a real relationship with him. And my friends, here's the thing. The thing that separates Christianity from every other world religion is that we are not a religion. We are a relationship. And unless you're walking in the intimacy of that relationship, you're just practicing religion no matter where you go to church. You know, I have a unique ministry. I, you know, it's just unbelievable. God called me to evangelism and this whole thing about being a celebrity, it just, it, it, it just wipes out all the denominational stuff. I, I go to all churches. Methodist churches, Presbyterian churches, Baptist churches, Pentecostal churches. And I've said this to a lot of pastors. And I said, pastor, with all due respect, I've been where you've never been. And they go, what do you mean? They said, well, you know, most, because most of the pastors I know, they were brought up in the church. Most of them. And they were brought up 
in a particular denomination. In their entire life, they were taught, this is what the Bible says, and this is how it's properly interpreted. Well, if you listen to every, every, every pastor or every theologian of any particular denomination explain why they believe what they believe, it makes sense. They all think they're right. Well, I got news for you, folks. I don't think any of us are completely right. And none of the things that separate us denominationally have a, they don't, they don't have a single thing to do with salvation. Romans 10, 9 says, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You're saved. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be signposts. Uh, Baptist over here. And the frustrating thing for me is, because I do this, I go to all these different churches, and, and I've told pastors this. I said, here's what I've seen, pastor. I see what's working. And I see what's not working. And I said, here's what's not working. Those churches that are so rigidly, rigidly entrenched in their tradition. And this is the way we do things. This is the way it's always been done. Those churches, let me tell you folks, they're dying and they're closing the doors. Because God's always doing a new thing. And you're either going to get up and go with God or you're going to get left behind. And to quote our Lord Jesus, he said to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, you nullify the very word of God for the sake of all your traditions. In other words, all those traditions have become more important than what's really important. What's really important? Because as Christians, we are called upon, every one of us, whether we are a ordained minister or we're just a Christian. In our sphere of influence, we are to take the gospel to the world. And the world looks at us and goes, you guys can't even agree amongst yourselves what you believe, so how are we supposed to buy what you're selling? That's the problem. And that's the devil. So let's quit arguing about the things that we'll never be certain of until we get to eternity. And let's come together on what we must believe and have to believe to call ourselves Christians. That Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he did die and that he did rise from the dead and that there's only one way and there's only one hope and it's him. Do you walk in that fellowship today? Do you really have a relationship with Jesus? Now, if you go on with the, the story here, uh, when uh, Samuel was told by God after this incident, he said, you know, after, after Samuel told him, you know, that this day you've, you've been, you know, the kingdom has been taken from you. You know, it didn't happen right away, but know this, you're not going to be king anymore. God's going to appoint a new king. So God sent the prophet Samuel to Jesse in Bethlehem. 
And it's pretty interesting because as you read it, when Samuel gets to Bethlehem, it says that the elders of the city came to meet him. And they said, do you come in peace? Now, I got to back up a minute. The first, the first thing that Samuel said to God, when God said, go to Jesse at Bethlehem, the first thing Samuel said is, I can't do that. Saul will kill me. And he said, do what I tell you to do and go. Because that t- tells you something about what Samuel thought of Saul's faith in God, right? Saul was full of pride. He was more interested in number one than he was God. But the elders of the city, when they saw the prophet coming, this is what they do. That's the voice of God in our life. And he's either coming for one of two reasons. We've either messed something up, we're in trouble, or he's come to bless us. And so they approached him with what we call fear and trembling. In other words, a reverent respect of God. Do you come in peace? What a contrast. Yes, I have come, you have, I have come in peace. And, he, and he, uh, he has Jesse line up all his kids. And of course, they think that the eldest will be the one chosen. That's not the one. He goes right down the list and no, it's not him. No, it's not him. No, it's not him. Is the, is, are these all the sons you have? There's one more, the youngest. He's out tending the sheep. Bring him in. We won't sit down until he's here. And here came David. And Jesse says, I mean, yeah. Samuel says, yes, this is the one. And then in front of his brothers, he, he was anointed to be the next king. The other thing that, that's, that stands out when I read that was that it also says this. Because they expected traditionally, well, if it's going to be one of the sons, it'll be the eldest. It'll be the firstborn. And it says there in Scripture, do not look at the things man looks at. God does not look at the things that man looks at. God looks at the heart. And that is so, so very important. Because my friends, here's the bottom line. It's all about those two things. Obedience and heart. If you're here this morning, I I would ask you this question. Are you here today because it's Sunday morning and that's what you do on Sunday morning? You go to church. Golly, Ted, that's a great message, but I hope you let us out of here in the next 35 minutes. Because we want to beat that church down the street to the steakhouse. Oh, man, that's a great message, Pastor. But you know what? It's, you know, let's say this was a, you know, playoff season. I want to be sitting back in front of my big screen for kickoff or the tip-off or they drop the puck, whatever your sport is. You know, last time I checked, Sunday was the Lord's day, not his hour. See, God looks at the attitude of your heart. Did you come here today with expectation? Did you come here to thank God for the blessings in your life? To ask him to carry you through? Are you dealing with something and you're here to say, Lord, I need your help. Strengthen me. And I would ask you this. Is the only time you crack this book on Sunday morning when pastor says, turn to this chapter. 
Because if that's the only time you crack this book, Jesus Christ isn't Lord of your life. Because it all goes back to that word I said, relationship. That's what separates us from all other religions. Do you walk in the, how do you have a relationship with anybody? Well, the more time you spend with someone, the greater that relationship grows. The more you know them intimately, and the more they know you. So let's just say, for example, now, I've lived in Mississippi for 30 years, and we had what Mississippi would consider a bad winter. So I know what you guys have just been through. I mean, somebody, and I mean, I, I watched the weather, and I said, you know, because I, you know, some of the coldest nights, I, I'll, I'll see this, I've, I've been to Canada in the middle of winter. I've spent colder nights in Chicago than I have in Canada. <laughs> so I know what kind of winter you just had. Now, just think about one of those winter nights, and you're out on one of the highways, it's one o'clock in the morning, and, you're, and, you're, and your car breaks down. It's snowing, blizzard, ice, horrible. And you look down at your cell phone, you've got one bar left. You've got one call you can make at 1 a.m. for help. Who are you going to call? I don't know who you're going to call, but I'm going to call that friend. That friend who is so close to me that no matter what the circumstances, I have the faith that they're coming. They're not going to make up some excuse, roll over, and go back to sleep. They're coming. Because we have that kind of friendship. What I'm saying to you is this. Whoever that friend is in your life, your relationship with God should trump that. Do you have that kind of relationship with Christ? You see, yes, I'm an evangelist. And I have called to share the gospel and to share the joy of what God's done in my life and call the lost to Christ. You know, yeah, call a lot of people who have never heard about Jesus to Christ. But here's the thing, folks, and I, I want you to understand this, and I want you to take it the way that I'm sharing it with you. Because most of the things I share is out of the conviction of my own heart. Ted DiBiase is not standing up here talking down to you. I just want you to know, there's a lot of people going to church all over this country right now that are lost. They're sitting in pews, they're taking up pew space, but they're not Christians. They're just very religious. I want to tell you, if God doesn't judge the United States of America, he'd have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Abortion, pornography, I mean, the world is rapidly becoming, and more so here probably than anywhere else. Just as Jesus, Jesus said in the end days, it will be just as it was in the days of Noah. And we know what the Bible says. I mean, the first day God wiped out the world with a flood. The next time it's going to be by fire. But we're rapidly getting to that place. Unbelievable immorality. I mean, you know, I could just share so many stories with you. You know, pet pedophiles, you know, people, predators on children that go to jail for, I mean, like a slap on the hand, and they're out again. It's incredible what's going on in the world. And it's going to get worse. We're $17 trillion in debt, and it's going up. 
and nobody in Washington seems to care. Just let it go up. Sooner or later, you reap what you sow. And here's where we're eventually all headed. There's going to be an epic economic crash. And when the crash happens, it's going to be like a house of cards. And every economy in the world will fail when ours does. It's going to be mass confusion. It's going to be horrible. And then all the talking heads are going to get together and they're going to say, what can we do to ensure this never happens again? Ah, one world currency. The same currency for everybody and a one world what? Government. That's where we're headed. It's going to happen. And that's just what the Bible predicted. And unless we're ready, and hopefully, well, I mean, the other thing is, you know, even though the the Antichrist may be alive right now, we're never going to know him. If you're really a Christian, in my opinion, I agree. Because we'll be raptured out of here. Because when raptured out of here, God takes the Holy Spirit away. When the Holy Spirit is not here, there is nothing left to convict men in their hearts of sin. Are you going to be ready? Let me share some statistics with you that are scary. The United States of America, a country that was founded on Christian principles. Yes, we were born a Christian nation. 10% of all the people that profess Christianity in this country don't go to church anywhere, but they t- they'll tell you they're Christians. 20% of any church, pick a church, irregardless of denomination, 20% of any church does 80% of the work. This is why I speak, so much, I speak to a lot of men. I do a lot of men's meetings. Because men are hardheads. Men are stubborn and they are prideful. It takes men a lot longer than it, to grow up than it does women. Women mature faster than men. If you want to have a debate that with me, we can have a conversation right after church. <laughs> but I, most, of, most of the women will agree. And, and what, what, what does scripture say? Well, you know, God created man. And then God looked and said, it's not good that man be alone. Where are we? Where are you? Is he real? Do you walk in intimacy with him? How are you going to respond when things start falling apart? You see, the other thing the Bible says is there's going to be this tremendous falling away of the brethren. Many of those who have claimed Christ will fall away. And it's going to be those who have been very religious, but they are not grounded because they don't really walk in a genuine faith and an absolute trust of Jesus Christ. And that's the only way we're going to make it, is, we, is if we have that. That's why, again, 20% do 80% of the work. And of the of the 20% doing most of the work, 80% of the 20% are women. You guys hear me? 
Hello? I've lived in Mississippi now for 30 years. I'm not from there. I was, my family home was in Omaha, Nebraska. Yes, I'm a corn husker. Yeah. Um, I talk to guys all the time. I've lived in Mississippi for 30 years. Now, in Mississippi, there's, a, there's an altar that men worship at down there. It's called deer season. I mean, I know guys that hunt. And there's nothing wrong with hunting. But I know guys, I mean, they, 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 they actually lease property, land, to hunt on. They join these clubs, and they'll, they'll go get an old trailer, or they'll go, they join these hunting camps. And, you know, every year, the latest, they got to have the latest camo, the latest all-terrain vehicle, new rifle, new bow. I mean, but man, on Sunday morning, and the offering plate comes by, all of a sudden, they develop deep pockets and short arms. And God gets the leftovers. God doesn't want your leftovers. And I would say to you, if that's what you're giving God, keep it. God wants, expects, and deserves your best. It's his anyway. And the only place in all of Scripture where God gave us permission to test him was in our giving. The last book, the Old Testament, Malachi. He says, bring your first fruits into the storehouse. And test me and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour out so much blessing you won't have room enough for it. Wow. Now, I want you to understand, I'm not one of those prosperity preachers who irritate me so bad. They want to make you believe God wants you to have a Cadillac. Only 6% of the people that are registered members of churches across this country faithfully tithe. 6%. Now, if everybody just gave God what we owe him, which is the tithe is 10%. And, that, and understand this, it's not just about money. The tithe is 10% of your time. It's 10% of your talent and 10% of your treasure. It's 10% of all of you. So back to that other percentage. 20% doing 80% of the work, and most of those are women. While the guys are out hunting, fishing, playing golf, having a good time, but they ain't doing squat in church. And there's a book written, you know, why men don't like church. Well, one of the reasons men don't like church is because it looks so feminine. Well, why do you think it looks so feminine? 80% of the workforce are women. You know, back to that story about the first time I came up here to the Ascension Convention. The book I, I was given that absolutely turned me upside down, inside out, so convicted me, was called Maximized Manhood. Old Pastor Hal gave me that book as we were coming to Chicago. So I'm reading this book that talks about what it really looks like to be a real man. What does genuine manhood look like? Well, genuine manhood, Dr. Coles, is a synonymous with Christ-likeness. The more Christ-like you are in character, the more of a man you are. 
that real man, men are men of strong character and integrity. A real man is a man of his word. His word is his bond. He's only as good as his word. And if his word's no good, then he's worthless. So that tells you what we need to do with all the politicians in Washington. Kick them out and start over. Because all they're interested in is getting reelected. Well, the other thing he said, the real man is called upon to be the spiritual leader in his home. Gentlemen, it's not your wife's job to have your kids in church. It's yours. And you and I will stand before God and we will be held accountable for the spiritual well-being of our families. No, we cannot save them. Did, but we, did we do everything in word and in deed to lead them to Christ? Well, when I read that book, it was, it was the beginning of that change because I realized that in spite of the fact that I was this world-famous wrestler, more famous than I was ever going to be, riding around in Learjets and limousines and all the stuff, in the world's eye, huge success. But in reality, what did it all mean? What does having all that stuff mean if I don't have the love and respect of my wife and my children? It's useless. It's meaningless. All you have to do is pick up a tabloid magazine. You want to you see how happy the world will make you? Well, read about all those people that are more famous than me. Hollywood movie stars, rock stars, professional athletes who make millions and millions of dollars and live in lavish homes. But all the stories that you read about are about what? Drug addiction, alcoholism, suicide, and infidelity, multiple marriage and divorce. I guess they're not so happy, are they? You know why? Because there's no God in their life. Because the only thing that's going to really fill the void is Jesus Christ. And that's just the point. The reason I share this with you today is I had this intellectual belief in God most of my life. But what my actions were basically saying to God was, God, I want what you have to offer. I believe Jesus is who he says he is. But my actions said, I want it on my terms, not yours. So instead of, instead of seeking this intimate relationship with God and finding out what his will and purpose for my life was, what he wanted to do with my gift and my skill, I was pushing my agenda down God's throat. And because there was no real relationship with God, I fell to the things so many other guys in our, you know, drugs, and booze, and, 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 and other women. Until I got the wake-up call, and I finally got it. I finally realized. And that's where America is today. We have been so blessed by God as a nation that, quite frankly, we have become proud and arrogant as a country. There was a time in this country when two men shook hands that was the contract because their honor was on the line and that was important to men now you got all these lawyers drawing up contracts with loopholes in them intentionally trying to scam you out of something do you know as you sit in church today what god's plan and purpose for your life is 
Are you walking in, in, in the intimacy of that? You know, there's another message that I share calling, I call it you know, living with eternity in mind. And I'm trying to remember the quote by John Bevere in a book. You know, it's like uh, basically living with eternity in mind means you're going to live a significant life that seeks to reap eternal rewards. You know, that's another thing. It's like, you know, in the church today, somehow it's most men think like they got, they got to, they got to check their masculinity at the door. Be a Christian. Oh, we hear about this meek and mild Jesus and Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Yeah, he said that. But that same Jesus walked into the house of power in his, it'd be like me walking into the, the, the nation, the nation's capital and I start turning over chairs and, and running people out of there with a whip. Not a bad idea, by the way. <laughs> but when Jesus went into the temple courts and did that, he went into the seat of power for the Jewish people, the temple, turning everything upside down and driving everybody out there. He said, my father's house is a house of prayer. You've made a den, a den of thieves. That's not real meek. That's righteous indignation. Gentlemen, listen. God wants you to be the best you can be. God wants you to take everything he's given you, every, all the skill and all the talent, go for it. It's okay to be ambitious. It's okay to want to be number one. But here's the difference, and here's what it took 38, 38 years of my life to figure out. To the glory of God, not to the glory of self. When I, when I went to the WWF, in 1987, I could have been the Tim Tebow, if you will, of the WWF, but I wasn't. Because the devil attacked me right where I was the weakest and the most vulnerable, my pride, my ego. And he's the greatest liar of all time. And he will lull you right to sleep. You know, we say, ah, oh, the devil made me do it. You don't, no, the devil didn't make you do it. You don't need the devil's help because you were born in the flesh and as long as you walk in flesh, it's, it stinks to heaven, it's wretched. It's when we discover that, when we finally figure out that the only thing that is, that the only hope we have of survival in eternity and not damnation is Jesus. And once we figure that out and once we cry out, Lord help me, now you got the devil's attention. Now, that's when he's going to come. That's when he's going to work harder than ever to try to make you disbelieve what you know is true. Try to diminish your faith. Try to make you believe that's not really true. Jesus said if you had the, 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 the faith of a mustard seed, you could say to a mountain, go in the ocean, and it would. A mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds. Jesus said... He did all those miracles. He said, these things shall you do, and greater things shall you do. Do you, do you know that there are a lot of people, I mean, I, I'm ordained by a Southern Baptist church, and I think they're one of the worst as far as, well, you know, miracles, they used to happen then. I think they're getting better, but I, I'm going to tell you what, miracles happen now just like they did 2,000 years ago. But it takes faith for it to happen. I was in India. I've been there three times. The last time I was there, the last place we stopped was an orphanage 
amongst the orphans, five little girls between the ages of five and seven who had been born deaf. From birth, they could not hear. There were 70 of us, most of them Canadian. We, we separated into five equal groups. We laid hands on these girls, anointed them with oil, and prayed over them that God, that Jesus would heal them. I will never forget, as long as I live, caretakers standing behind this girl that my group is praying for, clapped his hands, and that little girl's head spun around. Her eyes opened wide. Her mouth opened with awe. I just heard that. It's implanted in my brain forever. I saw it. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And why is it that we hear so many of those stories from all those third world countries? Because they live a simpler life and they have childlike faith. We have placed our faith in technology as a country. And the devil has, as a country, lulled us right to sleep. Jesus said this to his disciples. He said, unless you come, remember they, they were trying to shoo the children away. And he said, no, no, you let the children come to me. And he said, and if you do not come to me as a child, you cannot come. Well, what's that mean? Well, he's talking about innocent, innocent children have absolute total trust in a loving parent. I remember when I was, I think it was five, six, and my dad was going to start teaching me how to swim. And I'm standing on a diving board looking into about eight feet of water. That's pretty scary when you're five or six and you're not, you don't know how to swim yet. And my dad gets down there under the diving board and he says, jump, Teddy. And I didn't stand there going, gosh, dad, I, you know, hope, I hope he doesn't move out of the way and let me sink to the bottom. That's my dad. He loves me. He's going to catch me. I had a boom right off the diving board. No doubt. That's what I'm talking about. Jesus said, unless you come like that, you can't come. Wow. Who? That's some serious faith. And we're all human. And we fight the flesh every day. I've been doing this evangelizing for 14 years. And there have been times in my life, you know, where... No matter how many times God shows up, and I saw, and I was like, okay, I showed you a real miracle. And there, there'll, time, there'll be times in my life when, when I'll, I'll start to let this fear grip me. Or I'll get so busy, busy going about the work that God has me doing that it's, I start neglecting my time with him. And I think any pastor that's worth his salt can tell you he's we've all been there and God's got to come alongside you sometimes and go hey remember me I'm the one you're doing this for and if you would come spend a little more time with me I can make it a whole lot easier am I right pastor Dr. Merrill it's it's because we're human every day we got to make that decision when we roll out of bed Tony Evans um Oh, he wrote several books, but one of the books, he said this, he said, I want to I have enough faith in God that when I roll out of bed in the morning, my feet at the floor, the devil says, oh crap, he's up. <laughs> and I started laughing. I said, yeah, that's the kind of faith I want to. So again, I share it with you as your brother in Christ. 
don't be lulled to sleep. You know, don't allow the devil to think you're okay. You know, it was like, I heard this like, it's like the devil has a, has a meeting with all his demons. You know, it's like Jesus has now died on the cross and rose from the dead. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? And one demon says, well, let's just tell him that it never really happened. And the devil said, no, we can't do that because too many people saw it. Too many people have reported it. You know? Uh, you know, and then another demon, he says, well, let's just tell him that it doesn't work. And he said, no, we can't tell him that either because it has worked. And too many people have seen it work. And too many people are here to testify that it works. And the third demon says, why don't we just tell them not to worry about it right now? They've got lots of time. And the devil said, that's it. My friends, the word of God says, today is the day of the Lord. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. We're supposed to live each day as if it were our last. I'm trying to think of the name of that song. By Tim McGraw. Where he says, I'd go, you know, skydiving. Like what, all the things he would do if he got that word, like, you know, like he, you know, he had only had a short time to live. What would you do? Well, you don't know. That's why Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. You got enough worry today. Put your faith in me. I want to make sure you're taken care of. If you'll just trust me with everything. Are you trusting him with everything? Is he, is he, is he Lord in your life? You know, there in Revelation where it says, when Jesus said, because he's admonishing all these churches. And I can't remember which church is right now. I'm going brain dead. It's not Alzheimer's. It's sometimes. Sometimes I remember. Sometimes I don't. <laughs> but he said to one church, I wish that you were hot or cold. But because you are lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. My friends, that's America right now. So, are you going to be ready? I know that that's where I place my faith and my trust. Yeah, I watch the news and I hear all the bad news. And I just, sometimes I just quit, quit listening to the news because it's all bad news. You know, and I'm tired of hearing about how many times Lindsay Lohan's been to rehab. You know what? She'll keep going to rehab. Of course, I haven't watched the news lately, so I don't know if she's change or not, but until she goes to a faith-based rehab where they tell her, you know what, you'll, you'll keep going back, she'll keep going back to rehab either until it, she, it kills her and, and, and uh, she goes to hell or until she understands that the only thing that's really going to change her life is a relationship with God. Which is what most, all the men that I know and women that have been to some form of faith-based rehab Teen Challenge is one of those. Actually, Teen Challenge, I don't even think they call it Teen Challenge anymore. They call it Life Challenge. Because it's not just teenagers. Jesus said, I came to set the captive free. 
You know, you might go to AA, and I'm not knocking AA, but every day, if you're in AA, you get up and you look in the mirror and you go, my name is so-and-so, I'm an alcoholic, or I'm a drug addict, or I'm a sex addict, or whatever your addiction is. Jesus said he came to set the captive free. And I'm free today. I didn't have an addiction to drugs or alcohol. If you want to call it an addiction, my addiction was women. But I have a love and a desire in my heart today to go wherever God wants to send me. God restored me. God restored my whole family. Restored my marriage. The hero, the hero, obviously, of all heroes is Christ. But the hero in my family, the only reason I can stand here today, because I'd still be preaching to you. God still would have called me to evangelism. But the only reason that I can stand here and tell you that I am still a happily married man is because of my wife's faith in God. Who at a time, in, in the moment of her worst humiliation, she trusted God and listened to his voice. And because she did, because she demonstrated to me the greatest example of Christ-like love and mercy I've ever seen. And because she was willing, if you heard the story, I guarantee you all you women would, if you'd have heard that story, you'd have run right out the door. My wife came to me after I laid on my face at the Ascension Convention, weeping. And she said, I'm not going to make you a promise I can't keep. I don't know if I'm strong enough, but I serve a God of restoration and not divorce. And because I love Jesus and because I want to be obedient, and that's the word she used to this voice in my heart, I'm going to try. No guarantees. I want you to understand that when she said that, it absolutely shocked me. It also was like igniting jet fuel. Because I had given my life to Christ and I was prepared to take care of my family and reap what I had sown totally. But when she said, I'm going to, she's no promises. But I said this to her, I said, if you'll give me the chance, I'll become the man you thought you married. I'll become a man of strong character and integrity. I will become a spiritual leader in my home and God willing one day I'll regain your trust and respect. That was March of 92 out there in that ballroom at the Hyatt Regency Hotel. This last New Year's Eve, we celebrated our 32nd wedding anniversary. You know what, guys? God didn't just fix it. My relationship with my wife today is greater, deeper, and more intimate in every way. She's my soulmate. She's my best friend. We are beginning to minister together to people, hurting couples. God will take your mess and make it a message if you let him. But I had to come to that place where it stopped being here and it moved to here. Another example I'll give you and I'll close. When I was very young and my mother remarried, Mike DiBiase was actually my stepfather. He was the son of Italian immigrants and he was a professional wrestler, but he was also a national amateur wrestling champion out of the University of Nebraska. Storied career. Lettered seven times, four years in football, three in wrestling with a national title. Uh, I didn't know any of those things when I was five. What I knew was that he showed me his love. I saw that he loved my mother. He gave me his home. He gave me his love. I wanted to be just like him. People would come up to me when I was little, and they'd say, you want to be just like your dad, don't you? And i go, yeah, but how do you know? And a lot of them would laugh at me. they said, are you kidding? Everything that comes out of your mouth, everything you do says it. 
I didn't have to wear a sign around my neck that said, this is who I am, and I love my daddy. It just came pouring out of my life. And all I will say to you today is this. If Jesus Christ is truly Lord in your life, then there's going to be something different about you. It's going to come pouring out of your life. You're going to get involved in the ministry of your church. And you're going to take the gifts and the talents that God has given you and use them to the best of your ability to lead others to Christ. You're going to become a faithful tither because it's all about trusting God. And it's not that you do all those things because those are the rules. It's you start doing them because you're so grateful to a God who is so big that loved you so much, he was willing to die for you. That's when I fell in love with Jesus. When, I, when, I, when Pastor Hal told me that day, when I was going to face my wife, he said, Ted, if you were the only man who ever lived, Jesus Christ, the Prince of Heaven, still would have stepped out of heaven and died on the cross just for you. And when I tried to imagine a God that big, that could love me that much, that could forgive me after I had trampled on all his blessings, that's when I fell in love with Jesus and I became grateful to him. And it wasn't just a walk down the aisle and a few tears and let's get on with life now. It was a genuine rebirth. So, obedience in heart. Is Jesus Lord in your life? Do you know his plan and purpose in your life? And if you don't, then what are you going to do to change that? With that said, if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes with me, I'm going to pray a sinner's prayer. And I don't ask you to pray my prayer. Just as I pray, just speak to the Lord from your heart. But more importantly this morning, let him speak to yours. And then be willing to respond to him in obedience. Lord Jesus, I come to you now. Lord, I, I confess to you that I'm a sinner. I confess that best the truth is lord that in spite of how hard i try i realize that the harder i try i just keep coming back to this same place i keep hitting this wall time and time again and lord i'm tired of hitting the wall i'm tired of starting over i'm tired of looking into the mirror and not liking the person i see looking back today lord i realize perhaps for the very first time that all I need in life can be found in one place, and that one place is in you. And today, Lord, from the bottom of my heart, I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me of all my sin. Come into my heart today and become not only Savior, but Lord. Jesus, step aboard the ship that is my life, and you take the helm of the ship, and you direct this ship wherever you want it to go. Today, Lord, I pray and I ask you, as you have burdened my heart, and I've realized today that I've let 
the busyness of my life and the cares of the world choke out the intimacy we once had. So today, Lord, I rededicate my purpose to our relationship. Today, Lord, I surrender myself totally to you. Lord, today, I ask you to not only forgive me, but to deliver me from the bondage of this sin in my life that keeps rearing its ugly head, this one place in my life that just seems not to go away. Not just forgiveness, Lord. Deliver me this day. I will have the faith to believe that in your strength, not mine, I can do this. Deliver me this day, Lord, from anger and bitterness that I've harbored for so long. For your word tells me that I must forgive. It's not optional. You, Lord, know my heart and you know how it's been so hard for me to let it go. But I will believe today in your strength it's possible and in your strength I can let it go and be free. And Lord, thank you. Thank you for your presence with us here today. Thank you for hearing every cry, prayer, and plea. Most of all, Lord, thank you for loving us all enough to die for us at Calvary's cross. And I pray this prayer in your precious, matchless name. In the name of Jesus, amen and amen. Now, folks. If you just do me a favor, it's just something I do, if you'd humor me, if you would close your eyes and bow your heads just for another moment. Number one, I want to give you a moment in your own prayer, not mine, but with eyes closed and heads bowed, I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions and all I want you to do is respond by raising your hand. This is, I want to acknowledge you personally if you made a decision of some kind here this morning. The first question would be this, if you've never made a decision for Christ and Maybe you've become a church for a while and you've been sitting on the fence or maybe you're here with a friend and you've never been here, but today for the very first time in your life, you've said yes to Jesus. If that's you with eyes closed and heads bowed, just raise your hand so I can acknowledge a first time decision. Anybody here today a first timer? Okay. Second question. If you identify with a lot of the things I said today, and for whatever reason you feel like today's that day where I need to refocus, you know, I've, I've let the busyness of my life choke it out. I, I haven't been deep in the relationship that I should. For whatever reason you feel like this is a day not only for a recommitment, but maybe, maybe it's more like a genuine total surrender. If that's you, or any part of that is you. Would you raise your hand so I can acknowledge that decision? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Praise God. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Great. Last question. You're dealing with a sin in your life. We've all been there. We ask God to forgive us, and sometimes it's like we go back and we ask him again, and we go back to the point where we're embarrassed. We're like, God, how can I come and bring this back to you again? So even though God will hear you and forgive you, 
you're still in bondage to it. And you've, that's what you're seeking, deliverance from the bondage of this particular sin. And I'll add something to that, and it's probably the biggest part of it. Are you in bondage to bitterness? My wife and I speak about this a lot when we talk to couples. There are so many people hanging on to anger and bitterness. And there's a lot of things that happen to us in life that in our flesh, it seems that it's impossible to let it go. But in God, all things are possible. And if you're one of those people today, and you know that you need to let this go, that you might have the intimacy with God that he wants to have with you. Because with God, you know, forgiveness is not optional. It's a commandment. My wife says, hanging on to anger and bitterness and unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. The only one suffering from it is you. So if that's you today, and that's the decision you've made, would you raise your hand for me so I can acknowledge that decision? God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. That's awesome. God bless you. Praise God. That's awesome. Okay. Look up here. Maybe I should do it Reggie, Reggie Dab style. You know, when I was at that Ascension Convention, I tell people this all the time, I had confessed to God, to my wife and to Pastor Hal, there wasn't anybody else to confess to. What was I doing there? Because with God, there's no, there's no coincidences. It's all, you know, divine appointment. And I realized, looking back, that the reason God took me to the Ascension Convention in 1992 was he put me in front of the biggest wrestling crowd, teenagers. So what do you do with a guy who's got a pride problem, whose ego is the source of all of his trouble, who has now confessed and cried and wept? Basically, God took me to there to say, okay, Ted, I've heard what you have to say, and I've seen your tears. Are you willing to humble yourself in front of all these people who see you as that star from television? And Dr. Merrill can tell you, I leaped out of that front row seat, and I fell on my face, and I cried like a baby, because God finally had me at a place where he wants all of us at some point, willing to run to him with reckless abandon. I remember Reggie said that day, of course, he just said a lot of things that day. He, he challenged those kids. He said, ah, you might have fooled your parents. You might have even fooled your, 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 your church leaders, but you haven't fooled me or God. Some of you guys got pornography in your room. You got drugs in your room. You got booze in your room. You want to get right with God, I'm going to give you a chance. Go get it. Nobody's going to send you home or say a word to you. Bring it right back here. What a pile of junk they got, right? Unbelievable. But a lot of people got right with God that day. And Reggie finally said, if you're tired of living a lie, you know what you need. You know it's Jesus. Get up here now. There's something about stepping forward and humbling ourselves before God. Humble yourself before God in due time. He will lift you up. I can't express to you how grateful I was to Dr. Merrill in this church to bring me back to Chicago 10 years later and stand on the platform where I had laid with my face in the dirt and allowed me to share the gospel and the joy of Christ. And God spoke to my heart and said, I've brought you full circle. 
There's a moment I never forget. So if you raised your hand, I want you to step out of your seat and I want you to come stand here with me right now because I want to pray with you one more time. For any reason, if you raised your hand, I want you to come. That takes some guts. You know? And as they're coming, I always share it. Pastor who's a, another pastor who's been a big inspiration to me, Tommy Barnett, shared with me about uh, an invitation he gave to his church one day and a young man stood up and he said, Pastor, I believe you. I, I, I know Jesus is the only way, but I'm not going to come up there today and be a hypocrite. I'm a young man. I got a lot of living to do. There's some things in life I want to experience that God wouldn't like, which is basically saying, I'm, I'm going to intentionally sin. And that's what Pastor Barnett told him. He said, you know, son, the Bible says today is the day of the Lord. What you're saying is you recognize the truth, you know it's real, but you're willfully going to sin. The Bible calls that testing God or tempting Christ. He said, you couldn't do anything more dangerous. True story, he went out and got in his car, convertible, top down, Phoenix, Arizona, 10 blocks from the church, crossing a busy intersection in Phoenix. A car ran the light, and went, hit, the, hit a curb and went airborne and took this kid's head off. Too late for eternity. I always share it because if you're sitting in your seat right now, your heart's beating fast, maybe your palms are sweaty, something inside of you is saying, go. That's the Holy Spirit. That's God telling you, come to me now. There may not be a tomorrow. So if for any reason you need to come, please come. God bless you. God bless you, young man. That's awesome. That takes nerve. That's good. Give, him a, give him a hand. Give him a hand. Because if we can't do it here amongst our fellow Christians, we're certainly not going to do it out there in the world. Does anybody else need to come before we pray again? Okay, would everybody please stand with me? As a body of believers, let's lift up our brothers and sisters that have come forward tonight, today. One more time, let's go to the Lord. Father God, we we come to you now, Lord, and your word says that as your children, we can come boldly to the throne of grace. And Lord, we come today, but we don't come on, be on our behalf, but we come on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ who have in obedience to your voice today, for whatever reason, come forward and say, yes, Lord, I am going to be obedient to your voice in my life today. Lord, your word tells us that wherever two or more of us come together in agreement, asking anything as it pertains to the will of the Father, that you would hear that prayer and grant our request. So, Lord, we lift up our brothers and sisters today, and we just ask, Lord, that you do in their lives that which you can only do. Your word tells us that you know us so intimately, that you know our need even before we ask, that you know us so well that you know every hair on our head. So, Father, please touch our brothers and sisters today touch each of their lives and do the work in their lives that only you can do. Let them know in this very moment that you've heard their cry, that their wish has been granted, that their sin has been forgiven, that they have been strengthened, that according to their faith, it will be done. And Lord, as, as they leave this place today and as we go with them, 
Father, we pray that as believers in this dark, dying world, that you would continue to open our spiritual eyes to see the path you have set before each of us and open our ears to clearly hear your voice above the clatter of the world, that we might truly be the salt and the light in this dark, dying world that you've called us each to be. And Lord, we take this opportunity to give you all praise, honor, and glory for the victories represented here today for one 2,000 years ago at the cross. And the glory, the praise, and the honor are yours and yours alone. And we give that to you now. And we once again pray this prayer in that most precious name, the name above every name, in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen. and amen. amen. God bless you. Give the Lord a hand. guys please be seated pastor fred folks i just want to say thank you again for letting me come in and share my heart um as well as the uh the, the get together the lunch i'll be out there in the foyer um i'm out of books right now but i have a dvd which is my my entire testimony uh, and i just want you to know if you support me here's the thing i had those dvd there's an introduction on it and there's a prayer at the end of it specifically to put in the hands of lost people. And if 90% of the people in our country that are Christians have never led anybody to Christ, here's an opportunity. And I just want you to know, if you give today, they're only 10 bucks, take that DVD and put it in somebody's hands, whether they're a wrestling fan or not. You know, they could be a couple struggling with their marriage, they could be struggling with all the things of the world. My testimony covers it all. Uh, but what you're investing in is not just my ministry, but the things that my ministry, where my heart is. And one of the things that I give to is, the, is to stop human trafficking, which is abominable and just unbelievably massive in our country. And the other thing that I support is underprivileged and handicapped children. So if you give today and you buy a DVD, that's what you're giving to. God bless you, and thank you very much. Thank you.